I'm very thankful for that. As a young boy, I can remember preachers preaching on that. I believe it was in 73 or 74 when that was done. Um, and I can remember preachers preaching years after that, uh, continuing to preach against the ruling of the high court of the land. And I still have some of those sermons uh, from my grandfather who, who preached uh, on that topic. And yet it is a uh, great victory and we've prayed for it and we've worked diligently, many have, towards that effort. Unfortunately, many people don't agree with it. Uh, sometimes even in the Lord's church. Um, some people have the effect uh, or the thought that it was a wrong decision by our high court in the land. Uh, I've seen statements on social media from some of our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. We better be ready to step up and adopt all the kids and this, that, and other. Well, I disagree. Um, I think we need to go back further. I think we need to go back and teach them the word of God and that they should not have children that they don't want. And I think we won't have to deal with that um, if we can do that. Again, we're not blaming the correct person. Um, that's what we do in this country is we blame everything else and everybody else rather than what needs to be blamed or who needs to be blamed. Um, people want to talk about uh, all the killings. Well, if we teach our children like we do here in this county and in, in the uh, conservative side of the world how to use a gun, they won't shoot people. That's what it boils down to. Um, it goes back to the deterioration of the home and a lot of things in this country go back to that and when our leader of the country no matter who he is or what he is stands before his country and says it's a sad day when we save children's lives is an abomination to the Lord and I'm going to tell you our country is still not out of the woods yes we've had a victory but they hadn't won the war yet. We'll put it that way. We still got to fight and we still got to teach. And in the light of all of that, you know, being a Christian has a lot of advantages. Being a faithful Christian has a lot of advantages. We have a family of God's people. We have the blessings of God, the spiritual blessings. We have material, material blessings. But you know, there's a great blessing that we have as Christians that a lot of people don't have. And that's the hope of going to heaven. Now let me say this to this audience this morning. Everyone who believes in God 
and who has a Bible is not a Christian. If you feel that all, all you have to do is just be a good person and put God in place every now and then and that you're going to go to heaven, you're not. Those who go to heaven are those who are faithful. Those who put God before anything and everything in their life. Who love him. Who acknowledge him as God. The only God. Are those who will make it to heaven. In the book of Revelation in chapter 4, was read just a moment ago, John describes something hard for our mortal minds to even imagine. I want you to think with me just for a moment. Many of you have seen the Grand Canyon. It's visited by many of, of a lot of people in this country, and they say that it's amazing. The grandeur of the Grand Canyon is not really describable, really, with words. But I've heard people say that it's breathtaking. And those of you who have seen it personally have been blessed with that. And if you can only imagine if we or you felt that way about the beauty of the Grand Canyon, can you imagine with me this morning how John must have felt when he was allowed to take a glimpse into heaven? He must have been elated. He must have been uh, just overwhelmed a trillion times of what one would who had maybe even seen the Grand Canyon or some great whatever. But in Revelation chapter 4 and verses 1 through 11, there's something described that it's hard for us to imagine. And John describes heaven. He gives us this morning a glimpse of some of the amazing things that he witnessed in heaven. And let me say this morning, at the best and the very best job that I could do or any mortal could do in describing heaven, we will never know the greatness of heaven until we get there. You see, <clears throat> Revelation 4 describes this amazing spiritual place. So this morning, I want just to, for the few moments that we have together to look and examine what was John able to see 
when given that glimpse into heaven. I've invited you to the book of Revelation in chapter 4. I hope you have your Bibles with you this morning. And I hope you turn and I hope you read this with me. It says, after this, John says, I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me. Which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on that throne. And he that sat was to look upon uh, like a jasper and a sardine stone and there was a rainbow around about the throne and in sight like unto an emerald. Let's pause right there for a moment. There's three things that I want us to notice this morning in this glimpse into heaven on just what John saw. In verses 2 and 3, the first thing was God on the throne. John saw God in all of his glory sitting on his throne. He saw God as holy and marvelous and majestic and full of power. You see, the imagery describing God is God on his throne. We could spend all day breaking down these scriptures and what does this color mean and what does this color mean and what does this mean and what does that mean. But I think we would totally miss the point of this passage of scripture. What God, John saw and what we need to see as we take a glimpse into heaven is that God is on his throne. And that God is on his throne and that he is reigning. God is reigning on his throne and remind, that should remind us that he is the one who is ultimately in charge. You see, it was mentioned just a moment ago that no matter in our prayer, no matter what the highest court of the land decides, no matter what leader is wherever or whatever, God is in control. No matter where things go in this old world, God is in control. God is on his throne still today reigning and, and is still in, in control. 
And see, this thought this morning that John has his glimpse into heaven should encourage us while we're down here and even when we get to go there. You see, the president and the Supreme Court and the legislators and all of those things and the governors and the mayors and all, they're not in control. God's in control. You see, we put our trust way too much in the man. God's in control. Instead of being worried and paranoid while we're down here about the future, we need to take comfort in the reality that God rules and is in complete control. And we need to understand this morning, as long as we stick with him, everything's going to be all right. You see, that's what we need to understand. We've got to understand that during this time that this was written, the Christians were being persecuted by one of the strongest empires in the world, the Roman Empire. But even in those times, God was on his throne in control. And sometimes we today, we paint such a pessimistic picture for our young people and we say, well, and for our young couples who are bringing children into the world, and we often say, well, I'll tell you what, I sure would hate to raise a child in this world today. I hate to see what it's going to be like when they get old. You know what? God's in control. And we need to be careful with that. No election, no Supreme Court is going to change that God is on his throne and reigning and in all control. Nothing or nobody. And we have to understand that. But this glimpse of heaven, John saw that God is on the throne and he's in control. Let me invite you to go to the book of Colossians. In chapter 1 and verse 16, the Bible says to us, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Now watch it. Where they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created, what? By him and for him. God is in control. Let me invite you to go over to the book of Romans in chapter 13. And let's reiterate this point just a little bit more. In chapter 13 in verses 1 and 2. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. 
The powers that are that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation or judgment. The powers that are to be and powers are in now on this earth are only allowed because of God. And we give God all the credit, not mankind. The second thing that John saw in verses 4 through 11 was God being worshipped. Not only did he see God on the throne and in total control and reigning, he saw God being worshipped. Now again, at this point, let us focus on what's going on in these verses. Not all the imagery, not all the symbolism, but simply God is being worshipped. All of those in heaven worship God the Father. Did you hear that? Those who are in heaven, those that will be in heaven, have one sole purpose, and that's to worship God. That's it. We come into assemblies like today. We talked about it in our 9 o'clock hour in our Bible class about how our young people are bored in our worship to God and how they're reaching out and going into denominational world, the life church and other denominations and things. And, and as I pointed out in class, we continue to see people who were brought up in the church in this county be baptized into at the life church, let me put it that way. Folks, there's only one church in the Bible. One church. The life church will not get you to heaven, young people. Neither will the Baptists, the Methodists, Catholics. Presbyterian, Church of God, First United, I don't care what you call it, Community Church. There's only one church. Now notice what John saw here in verses 4 through 11. He saw God being worshipped. You see, that should excite us. But I'm afraid that in the world in which we live and even in the Lord's church today, we don't get excited about worship. And I'm not saying that we got to jump pews and we got to uh, holler out and, and, and act all crazy. I'm not saying that. 
our young people and, and our older people as well. I mean, it's obvious other than health reasons and things that people don't find worship appealing to, to be here. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to be miserable in heaven. If you sit in this midst today and you don't sing and you don't pray and you don't worship God and you don't enjoy it and that don't excite you, number one, you won't make it to heaven. But if you did, you'll be miserable. Because notice what it says. It says there, it says they were worshiping him, singing him, giving him all the glory. There was nothing more important than God. You see, all those in heaven will worship God the Father. Also, they'll worship the Lamb. You go on over in chapter 5 in the book of Revelation and you see them worshiping our Lord, Jesus Christ. The Lamb and the Lion from the tribe of Judah, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. You see, this should excite us this morning that we want to go to heaven. Jesus is being worshipped. God is being worshipped. And again, I'm afraid that we don't get excited. Heaven seems a little boring. A little boring. Heaven seems like it's a little boring. We don't have no, we don't have no NBA finals and, and games to watch and keep up with. We don't have any baseball games to keep up with. We don't have any hobbies up there. We don't have anything that we love to go. No vacations, no lakes, no whatever. I'm afraid people look at heaven as like they do down here, that it's boring. It's not going to be anything to do. That's why it's so important that we learn down here that worshiping God is the most important thing because if you can't do it down here, you're surely not going to do it up there. You see, John saw some important things in this passage of Scripture. You see, we need to be careful of becoming so absorbed and fixated with this world that we're not excited about being in heaven. And we need, to, we need to be concerned about offering perfect worship to God forever. Not just here. You see, that's how we have to think. We have to think way ahead. We need to be focused on perfect worship here because that's what we're going to do if we make it to heaven. I can tell you this morning, there's not going to be any Disney Plus. There's not going to be any Netflix. There's not going to be any of all these things that we go and do that we fall in love with down here. And we say, oh, these things make me so happy. You see, there's not going to be any of that up there. There's not going to be any binge watching on television. Because all we're going to do is worship God. You see, heaven will not be dull. Because let me tell you why. Because God's amazing presence will compel us to fall before his throne and praise him. 
and to praise his glorious name with zeal and passion. It'll be a worship of experience that we cannot begin to even fathom. You see, we will not have to be forced to worship. We're not going to be look around and say, well, I better, I better fake this worship thing because I'm here. People's watching me. Won't be faking, it won't be any faking worship. Third thing that John saw, he saw God on the throne, number one. He saw God being worshiped. Of course, we know John 4 and 24, those God is a spirit, those who worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. Let me say that. But we will have perfect fellowship. John saw God in perfect fellowship with his people. Perfect fellowship. Go back to our reading in, in the book of Revelation in chapter 4. And I invite you to go to verse 4 and notice. And round and about the throne were four and twenty seats or thrones. Upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was a sea of glass likened to crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts or living creatures full of eyes before and behind. In verse 4, it speaks of the 24 thrones and the 24 elders. And I'm going to say in my study that what I have found and, and what I believe, this represents the totality of God's people. If you remember, there were 12 tribes in the Old Testament. And not only were there 12 tribes in the Old Testament of Israel, there were 12 apostles who were the early church leaders. And you notice in verse 6, it speaks of the sea of glass. And you think about the totality of God's people and that perfect fellowship and how that culminates all of what God is about. Now, go with me real quickly to 2 Chronicles chapter 4 and let's connect this. 2 Chronicles chapter 4 and verses 1 through 6. 
In regards to the sea of glass spoken of in verse 6 in Revelation 4, points back to the temple's furnishings. Now let's read this together. In verse 1 of chapter 4 of 2 Chronicles, it says, the Bible says to us, Moreover, he made an altar of brass, 20 cubits the length thereof, and 20 cubits the breadth thereof, and 10 cubits the height thereof. Also he made a molten sea of 10 cubits, from brim to brim, round in compass, and 5 cubits the height thereof, and a line of 30 cubits did compass it round and about. And under it was a similitude of oxen, which did compass it around and about, ten in a cubit, compassing the sea round about. Two rows of oxen were cast when it was cast. It stood upon twelve men, or twelve, it stood upon, excuse me, rows of oxen cast when it was cast. It stood upon twelve oxen, three looking toward the north and three looking toward the west and three looking toward the south and three looking toward the east and the sea was set above, up above upon them and all their hinder parts were inward, hin, inward. And the thickness of it was a hand breadth, and the brim of it like the work of the brim of a cup with flowers, lilies, and received and held 3,000 Bass. He also made, now notice, ten layers, put five on the right hand, five on the left, to wash them, such things as they offered or belonged to the burnt offerings, they washed them, but notice it right here. But the sea was for the priest to wash in. Now that sea of glass we read about in Revelation 4, points back to the furnishings of the temple. In the temple, the sea was a giant water basin that priests used for the ritual purification process before they approached God. It served to them as a reminder that fellowship with God is only possible, now watch it, as it all culminates together, it served as a reminder that fellowship with God is only possible by becoming washed and pure before Him. The things that John saw in the glimpse into heaven, a perfect fellowship with His people, you see, to be in fellowship with Christ, one must be purified. One must be washed for the remission of their sins in the blood of Christ and become pure before Him. And it's because of the blood of Jesus in heaven that we will be in the actual presence of God one day. You see, we will see God's face. We will be near Him and be in perfect fellowship with God. And this morning, I suggest to you that this is the greatest thing about heaven. Is that we will be in the presence of God.
and Jesus, the followers of Christ, in the presence of Abraham and David and, and all the greats, You see, if we don't like being in the presence of God down here, heaven's going to be miserable. Again, number one, you won't make it. The three things that God, John saw as he took a glimpse into heaven. Are you preparing to experience this amazing blessing of heaven. This morning I ask you, are you preparing to go to heaven? I've always said and I will always preach, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people. You must be prepared to go. You just don't just get to go. Contrary to the world. The world thinks everybody can go to heaven. Everybody can't go to heaven. Everybody can't. You must be purified and washed in the blood of Christ to be able to go to heaven. I hope this morning that you want to go You and I may never see the Grand Canyon. You know what? That's okay with me. But there's one place I don't want to miss, and that's heaven. If there's any place I want to see more than anything else in this world is that wonderful place called heaven. This morning, I hope you're preparing. I hope you're ready to be able to experience these things that John just got a glimpse of one day. To be with our loved ones. To be with God, most of all. This morning, whatever your need may be, please come. Together we stand as we sing.